Tonight on Straight Stuff on Addictions, everything... And we hope you uh, tune in next Sunday night at 8 o'clock. We'll be here. Um, our show, as Chris mentioned tonight, is everything you always want to know about rehab. And then in parentheses, but we're afraid to ask. It doesn't say that on your on your computer screen because there wasn't room in the title page. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, thanks to our uh, engineer slash sidekick, Chris A. That's a promotion. That's a promotion to you. Thank you. And uh, a shout-out to uh, Brendan O, who provides the intro music, who he and his band provide the intro music for us. And uh, uh, a, a little uh, mention that uh, Brendan hurt himself, so hopefully he will get well soon. Um, remember that you can call in anytime during the show with a comment, a question, or, God forbid, an opinion by calling 323 792 2977. That should also be on your screen if you're listening in. You know, can I say really quick, when you, yeah. when you call in, if you call in, hopefully you call in, uh, press 1 and you'll you'll be able to talk. Otherwise, you could just listen to the show. Okay, thank you. Phone. That's yeah. a good that's a good uh, note. And we'll be sending out a tweet um, every week with a question or a statement relating to the next week's show. So follow us on Twitter at Rick Atwater or like us on my Facebook page or follow us on Blog Talk radio.com straight stuff on addictions so you can get to us a lot of ways mm-hmm. we're also starting a segment tonight called peeps on the street <laughs> uh, where we ask random and unsuspecting people the same question that we asked on twitter and this question this week's question is and was on twitter what do you think happens in rehab mm-hmm. so we'll try to get to that question sometime tonight but um let me introduce our guest tonight, uh, Chris Chris G., a guy I've known for some time, a guy who I know to be a dedicated treatment person and uh, an administrator and an instructor and a guy who knows the rehab field better than most of the people I can think of, probably all. So let me say welcome to you, Chris. Thanks, sir. I think that's nice. the first. So. I don't know. So that's not bad. So let me let me just start by asking you how how did you get started in this uh, how did you get started in this in this business? Well, I came in through the back door, um, and part of it is I'm in recovery. I'm okay with saying that. 25 years um, sober, and uh, so that's how I came into the the field. And I came in the old-fashioned way in the eight, in the late 80s. Is where one day you were uh, a client on the floor, and the next day you were the counselor. Um, the, you know, if, if you did well, then they said, "Well, why don't you stay?" And I had no place to go, so I stayed. So mm. it was three meals and uh, a place to go. Um, what year was that? <laughs> like late? We'll, we'll just stick with late eighties. That's fine. Let's go with late eighties. You can count back from twenty-five. You can okay. figure it out. We'll get there. you. That's good. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it really wasn't traditional treatment, but it was away from what I knew. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was 2,500 miles away from what I knew. Um, and so it was it was an interesting journey. What do you mean 2,500 miles? You were, were you in California? Uh, no, I lived in New Mexico at the time, so I moved up to Minnesota. And it wasn't Hazleton. Everyone goes, oh, you went to Hazleton. Oh. I, I, had, I had 75 bucks. I didn't, couldn't go to Hazleton. Mm-hmm. Or probably St. Mary's either. Right. <laughs> Was it? What was it? What was the treatment? It was a, uh, actually it was a retreat center um, that uh, worked with uh, youth, and so I went up there to work for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of that was getting clean. So um, it was a good, it was a good process. So, but I had been in uh, outpatient treatment prior to that <clears throat> as an adolescent for years, mm. um, in and out. And I always remember the uh, therapist. Uh, we had, she seemed like she was like 90 years old at the time, but you know. How old were you? 
I was like 15. Right, so, so she was probably she 30. Was probably, right. <laughs> <laughs> but she seemed like 90. Yeah. yeah. I grew up on a military base, so uh, military law and justice is much different than the world. And hmm. so, um, you know, you went to treatment because if you didn't, then, you know, the consequences on at home were worse. But uh, her question always was like, why do you do this? And I could never answer the question. So I stayed in treatment for a very long time. Why do you do this? Right. Okay. So, that's how I got into the treatment uh, world. Mm -hmm. And uh, why did you? I guess the next question is because we're 25 years later. Why did you stay? Well, you know, I was making a million dollars. A, a you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, we know better than that. No. you know, I, I stay because, and I've, I've used this word a lot in the last couple of weeks. The mission. Mm. The mission of of treatment is uh, to help facilitate people to to feel better, get better, do better. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things I promised myself in early recovery was is that I would never forget that that process. Mm. Um, never forget what it felt like to be sober for a day, for five days, for thirty days, for a year, and and that's the mission. Is that uh, there's so many different pathways to recovery. That uh, you know, I I chose that that pathway. Um, had they told me that hey, I probably would have chosen a different pathway. Yeah, maybe. my first job I made uh, seven twenty five an hour hmm. as a counselor. Yeah, and uh, you could probably done their uh, carpet cleaning. Probably, mm -hmm. but yeah. uh, I was focused on the mission, and my wife will listen to this later, I believe. Um, and you know, sometimes we've questioned that together. I said hmm. it's about mission and. Uh, my higher power, I choose to call God, has never let us down in that mission. Yeah. So. Well, that's good. I mean, it, it's uh, and I don't. It doesn't sound like you came in a traditional. It doesn't sound like you did a traditional treatment. No. Either. So, no. so you did a lot of things that that, that kind of weren't traditional. No. Well, that, that would probably sum up my last twenty-five years. Right. I try not to do. It could probably bring us right up to the present, but right. we'll, we'll we'll get Let's there. Let's not go there. All right, so so here's here's uh, uh, some of the questions that, that I, I will ask you or that I that I want to ask you are questions that I think that I've heard you know from people around the kind of questions that you know they're not exact they're not particularly friendly questions actually but absolutely you know um, like one of the things I get and I've heard is you know what's with these um, success ratios i mean how how well how successful is treatment how how, how would you answer that well i love that because that's the first thing when i talk to people about uh if i'm working at a treatment center well they go what's your success rate we want we want to go to a successful program right and um you can do all the research and, and all the research out there would say treatment is 50 percent effective mm -hmm. first time through Eighth time through, it's about 50%. The twelfth time through, it's about 50%. Mm -hmm. If you did the same research on any other form of, of recovery, you would find the same answer. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I choose to look at that. And, that, and that's why I say to people, I said, I don't measure treatment on success. If someone picks up something new and walks out the door and doesn't repeat that again, that's successful. How do you measure mm -hmm. that? How do you measure that? Sure. Um, and so sure. uh, a lot of treatment centers don't use success ratios. They say, we have a very successful program. Well, how do you define, you know, what's the definition of success? Right. Well, my thing is, if you're falling forward, you're successful. <laughs> um, so I, I usually try not to answer that question. We need a whoop. <laughs> we always need a whoop. Success ratio. Okay. So, so that's one for tonight. And by the way, five's the record. So we I, we're, we're not sure what's going to happen here tonight. But well, you know, we'll, I still have a lot of time. So you do. Good. We you could we could uh, we could we could get there. Zero so, crazy all right. So yeah. and zero. Yeah, we haven't had any crazy trains yet. Just brand new. So okay. So success. So success ratios are not really a very good measure, or like it's not something that's really worth. Well, I'm talking too much about to people because it doesn't it's too subjective. Well, yeah, I mean, you can measure it on in treatment centers and and people who fund treatment measure it on how many successful discharges did you have, how many uh people what was your readmission rate? You can do all those things, but you know, I don't like to I track those cuz people ask me to track them, but you know, I always talk to people that, you know, going in and out of treatment, people, you know, they already feel bad enough. 
Mm-hmm. So why call it unsuccessful? Mm-hmm. And so when people come back, I, I talk about, well, you take your car to the to get an oil change. You just come in and get an oil change. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people over the years, probably for the last 15 years. Yeah. That, Was that successful? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They come back all the time. Sure. Um, sometimes it's to talk. Sometimes they need some more treatment. But, you know, I don't want people to feel unsuccessful. So I think people, most people would measure success. They have a very black and white Absolutely. idea. A person goes into treatment. If they come out of treatment and they drink again or they use drugs again, then it wasn't successful. Right. That's that's the mindset. And if you look at research and statistics, I would say that most people that get discharged from treatment relapse within the first four weeks mm-hmm. of discharge. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have to start with that. That, that there's that there, there's was was the treatment successful? Absolutely. Were they sober for a while? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. it might be measured by whether people come back. Right. It might be met. Who knows? Okay. Because I'll probably get in trouble for that if anyone in the treatment world is listening, but. You know, I choose not to pay attention to that. If I go around saying my program is the most successful program in the world, then um, then I've lost the mission. And there's there's treatment centers out there that do that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've I've heard them on the radio, seen them on on TV. You know, the you know eighty percent success rate. You know, well, absolutely. It's it's really a hundred percent of the people that get discharged successfully are successful for that one day. So you right. can measure it that way. Right. Um, so they got a hundred percent success rate because right. they, they were successfully right. discharged. That well, day. and what, what I've started doing in treatment with uh, counselors and is we call it graduation hmm. instead of discharge. Hmm. Come to celebrate. Yeah. Your graduation. Do you, have, do, you do a ceremony? Yeah. Do you, do a ceremony. What do you, what's a, what do you do? Um, we have everyone in the group go around and talk about what they've done and and all that all those pieces. We usually give them something uh, to hold on to. Um, I like to use a little butterfly coin if I've got them, mm. talking about the cocoon and, and what they mm. look like at the end. And uh, People bring those back all the time. And I saw my coin. Same, mm. you know, same principle. Uh, people need tangible signs of recovery. Yeah, so, something, something that they accomplished to. or, yeah. Um, yeah, and this is, you know, uh, well, here's another question. What would you, what do you say to people who say treatment doesn't work? What do you, what, what? How do you respond to that? People who just flat out, so they're not talking about statistics. They're right. Like, Treatment doesn't work. That's just, you know, that's no good. What do you tell them? Um, I, I just, uh, you know, <laughs> I just kind of listen. I don't, there's no response for that. <laughs> Treatment doesn't work. Okay. Next. Thanks. For, I mean, I don't know what to say. Treatment didn't work for you. Treatment doesn't work for everybody. And treatment doesn't work for everybody. Right. People go through different pathways to get to where they need to be in recovery. Yeah. There's as many uh, treatment doesn't work stories as, as AA doesn't work stories, and right. you know what? It, it, there's the, why even have that have the conversation? Well, yeah. So in other words, if somebody brings it up, what, why proceed? Right. Because well, you already know what the attitude is. And depending on my mood, I kind of say, well, probably didn't work for you because you didn't want it to work. Mm-hmm. You know. But you know, at that point, I, I don't like to argue with people about that because there's some reason people are saying treatment doesn't work. Well, and the other fu- the funny thing is that where you tend to hear that is like in the bars, right? <laughs> Treatment doesn't work. Or right outside the bars, right, right, in, right in that, right in the, right, right around in that neighborhood, um, or um, you know, people that are between uh, between treatments, so to speak. Right. If you would, like be, right. be between jobs, I don't know, but yeah. If you would ask me about treatment the first few times, I would tell people it didn't. It didn't work because I wasn't ready to work. Mm. Right. Right. You know. So it's a simple. It's really. It's really pretty simple. It has more to do with the individual. Right. I believe it does. Yeah. And it's easier to go after the treatment. Right. Uh, harder look at yourself. How do you know? I mean, as a treatment person, how, do you know, uh, or do you have a sense when somebody's ready, or do you take whatever comes and help them get ready, or what's your What's your position on that? Um, you know, my, my position is to take anybody that comes in the door. Anybody who's willing to ask for help, we'll take them no matter where they're at. If they're there a day, if they're there six weeks, eight weeks, all of that. You know, um, the sense of readiness is like when they start to uh, look normal, whatever normal looks like, mm-hmm. act normal. Yeah, you're talking to the wrong crew here. Right. Yeah. 
Well, that's what I was thinking when I walked in. But <laughs> no, <laughs> save for myself. Why would you? Yeah. <laughs> right. we need, yeah, we need one of those. But a boom. That might be a crazy train moment. But um, <laughs> I was one story that I always I, I will never forget. This guy and his name was Leroy, and he said I could use his name, so I'm using it. Okay. Leroy. Yeah. And I was looking at a hospital program, and he came in out of detox, and he looked like death warmed over, and mm. his skin was pale, and he was jaundiced, and he, you know, hadn't showered for months, and he just looked, you know, ragged. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, most people, when people walk in that way, they freak out, like, oh, what are we going to do with them? And and I sat down and, and talked with them, and I said, you're going to go to group every day. I'm going to have a cab pick you up at your house, and if you don't go out the door, I'm driving over there to get you. Mm-hmm. And you don't want me to pick you up. Mm-hmm. It's never a good moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he came consistently. For like three months, I said, Leo, it's time for you to kind of move on. He's like, no, <laughs> I'm staying. He'd found a home, and, right. I, and we worked towards it. Now, on the day of his uh, graduation, uh, he wore a three-piece suit, and uh, we had a picture of him from the first day, and we took a picture of the last day. And he said, Chris, I had to look better than you on the day of my graduation. <laughs> and uh, Leroy would say that he just kept coming back. He didn't believe it every day, but he kept coming back. He, his persistence to keep going. And that, that's that's the piece. Yeah. Leroy really kind of grabbed onto that for me. Uh, unfortunately for Leroy, you know, he passed on. But mm. I will never forget him. I have mm. his pictures still, and I use them every day for myself to go, Leroy is the mission. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that also answers you know, why do you stay? Right. You know. That, that's why I stay. Because I tell you what, in the last right. six months, there's been some reasons not to stay. Sure. And uh, for me, and I, I, yeah. I, I was really looking. I wanted to go work at a gas station from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't have to be around people. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Deliver uh, newspapers and sell right, carpet, whatever. Right, you whatever do. it yeah. might be. But, you know, I have some very wise people in my life that said, you know, this is this is part of you. This is ingrained in you. Um, and so, um, that's why I try to focus on is the, the Leroy mm-hmm. coming in the door. Mm-hmm. I need help from okay. why, you know, the door needs to be open. And, uh, and the, and the, the message is, you know, you don't know, you, you, you don't judge the book by the cover. So no. you don't, you don't know who's going to be ready by right. looking. No, you, it, it, you know, for Leroy, it was three months. Right. For some people, it's a couple of weeks. They just needed a tune up. If they get connected with the, uh, you know, twelve-step community, you know, they, you know, that's that partnership. So that's the other part of treatment. It's a mm-hmm. partnership with that. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's not either or in my mind. There has to be a partnership to it. And if there, you know, if there's not a partnership there, you can't get, you can't get sober. Hmm. And you don't know that going in. I mean, you don't know that no. up front. No. You, you, you have to make the effort. Absolutely. And, and then, you know, well, what I'm thinking we'll do. Right now is maybe uh, run the uh, run the peeps on the street interviews. Peeps on the street is always, uh, always yeah. good. Let's let's do that. Right. Let's let's have a little listen about these unsuspecting people and what they had to say. <laughs> what do they do in rehab? The fun about rehab is I slept like a baby. <laughs> so what you have to tell me is what happened in rehab for you is you got. Lots of sleep and smoke cells. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. You tell what do you think happened there? I think it's a waste of time. Okay. But what do you think happens there? I think uh, I think they try and uh, give them a clue on what uh, recovery is. Well, but how do you think they do that? I mean, what do you, what do you think they do? Like lecture them or something? Yeah, I think they do small small groups and they explain to them. Uh, I mean, I just figured out last month what halt was, and I guess that's a rehab thing. I never knew what it was. Okay, so there's our first man on the street interviews and, and peeps. Yeah, Pete. Excuse me, that Pete. Was, that was men, but yeah, yeah. Pete's on the street. They just happen to be <laughs> happen to be of the male persuasion. Um, so, so the one guy went to treatment, got high, and slept a lot. That was the first interview. That was the first one, and the second one that thought. Kind of nice. I mean, yeah. Well, I suppose if that's right, what you're right. into, a lot if you're try, trying to get a lot of sleep. <laughs> and the second guy was. Uh, he didn't believe in it, but he'd never been there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's what we, so that's what we got. I mean, that was our sample. You know, 
but what do you i mean what does that say what does that tell you what do you well i i think until you experience it or know it you can't really you know you can't really we can comment on it anyone can comment on anything but until you get that sense of what it is it's really hard to make an, uh, a response that makes sense right right exactly it's it's like how do you answer the guy who says treatment doesn't work it's right. the same it's right. the same deal there, there's really there's really no answer to that i think it's called contempt prior to investigation right. <laughs> but you know what i think the good news about that is that that's you know, at least that 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 person got a chance to air something that's common absolutely that's a common conception if absolutely you, if you will yeah, you know. Well, a lot of people treatment. The court orders you to treatment. Someone forces you to treatment, and those are all true. Uh -huh. um, and if we could ever, you know, uh, help define that, because sometimes it's good that people get ordered to do something. You know, because mm -hmm. you know, even if they don't seem like they're listening, they could be listening. I had a friend in high school. Uh, we were using a lot together, but he always got A's, and he slept through every class. And I'm like, what? He said, <clears throat> he goes, man, it's about just being there. I'm like I'm there and right osmosis must have yeah. got in there somehow right he goes just about listening I you know I don't freak that you know uh, you know they were grateful that I got out of high school um, you know he's a 4.0 student I'm like wait they were glad to move you along oh yeah they're happy so let me ask you there's you know I think that most people <clears throat> don't, they, they don't really understand or they don't they don't know or it's not common knowledge you know what what kinds of treatment are there like a lot of a lot I, i'll i'll talk to parents you know and they you know that my kid needs something they don't really know what they haven't done much research it's a new mm -hmm. thing to them what what's out there what, when somebody says treatment what what's the array well I, I, the array is all the way from like education program to individual counseling to groups to what we call intensive outpatient you go three or four times a week to um, partial hospital where you're there all day, go home at night, to inpatient where you have a 30-day, that's typically what a lot of people think, or residential where you're there three to six, nine months. Um, when people say rehab, they're thinking of the 30-day thing. Yeah, most people are 30-day yeah. or they're thinking detox or um, those kinds of things. But treatment's a, a lot a, a lot it's bigger a than whole that. continuum of that you know if you look at the shows on tv they focus on inpatient right and sober living well there's sober living there's recovery homes there's all kinds of different say what the, say what those are because i think you know people don't probably know what right. those are recovery homes where people who are engaged in recovery live until they can get back on their feet right sober living are places which is different than recovery homes sober living is people that are choosing to be sober and living together within the context of rule, but nobody's monitoring them. Nobody's in technically in charge of that. Right. You know, they, they pay rent. They they have a company that maybe provides that house or whatever it might be. Recovery homes have a little bit more structure to them. There's 24-hour staff and, and those kinds of things. That'd be something that's like a voluntary. You're not yeah. you're not there for any particular duration. Right. You're just, you're just going until you felt like it was right or... So they, you felt like it was right until other people told you it was part time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, until you got kicked out. Or right. And do you, do you uh, most and those two those last two levels that you're talking about both time both things you, you do do you work or go to school while you're in there yeah. or out? is it is yeah. that required? Um, yeah, it is required because part part of getting sober is part is starting to live again and doing uh, what people would call normal things. Well, you know, getting a structure in your life. You know, I think that's one thing about the treatment thing is is that's what's trying to get people to get some structure. Do do most people go? Do most people go through. Do they go to that level? I mean, what, what, I, I, I you know, I, well, I, I think people a large amount of people that end up in inpatient probably end up in a recovery type situation, mm. recovery home. The hard thing about inpatient or residential or sober living homes, if you're going to go and stay there. And then you come back to the same place that you left that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. You know, people ask me why do people why is, that's where if we go back to the success rate question, well, definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again expecting right. different results. So if you go through a 30-day treatment program, you go into a recovery home, right. you're there for six months, 
and then you go back to the house where you were when you were getting hammered. Right. Mm-hmm. There's something maybe not right about that. Well, yeah, you're back right in the same place you were before. Right. It's only a matter of time. Right. People ask me, why'd you move 2,500 miles away? I say, because I knew if I <laughs> if I didn't, then I'm not sitting here talking to you today. Right. That was that have been the end of it. To and to uh, move from New Mexico to uh, Minnesota, I mean, anybody would say, I think Crazy Train would. Here. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, when I moved there without a jacket, that was a crazy thing. Without a jacket? Yeah, I'm like, you know, someone had to loan me their jacket, give me a jacket because I was like. You didn't know about myself? No. I didn't know below zero weather either. First time the windows on the inside of my car froze up, I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, you know, yeah. It is a downside of Minnesota. There's some. There's. I'm sure there's some upsides. I. But mm. let me think. Well, let's good. let's right. move on. Right. <laughs> so okay. What's the what? And just uh, maybe I'll I'll just ask you this one last thing, and then maybe we'll take uh, take we'll stop there, and we'll have a little. Uh, we'll have Mike play us uh, some. Are you gonna do Beatles? Yeah. Okay. Um, so. What I was wondering about is, like, if you look at that whole spectrum of treatment that you're talking about, are most do most people is are the majority of people in the outpatient end of things, or are, are most people in the more in the residential inpatient or residential end of things? Where's the bulk of the? I'd say the bulk of the treatment is probably in the outpatient area. There's um, a bigger the bigger population. If we include, we're also including. Sober living and IOP yeah, is IOP. part of outpatient. Yeah, absolutely. What's um? I'm sorry. What's IOP? Intensive outpatient. So that's like three or four days a week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's like that's like evening or, or evening or day, three hours a day. Okay. Yeah. Necessary structure. Okay. So, but you think that the majority of the tre- the, the majority of people that go into treatment probably are are on the outpatient side, right. either weekly counseling or groups or Intensive outpatient. Intensive outpatient. Yeah. Okay. I guess. Well, one more quick question before we before we play. Has that has that changed? Have you seen that change over time? Uh, more, and it's probably more related to to uh, people where they're at financially. It's easier sometimes to get the outpatient mm. treatment, and it doesn't say that because of insurance or just yeah, insurance. It doesn't say that that inpatient. There's probably not a bulk in there, but it's a little bit more expensive. And so if people can, most people start in the outpatient world, and that's where I'd say that's where the bulk okay. stay there is because most people start there. That doesn't mean they'll end there. I but, got it. Uh, so they, that might not be enough for them, and they, they right. go to something else. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, let's stop there. And Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to you. You ready to go? Yeah. Okay. Mike P., fire it up, bud. Yeah. Yeah.
Okay. So, just you know, before I ask another question, you brought that you brought that book. So tell me a little bit about that because that that's fascinating to me. So one of the things I like to do is collect old books on alcohol and drug. And yeah. this book was written in uh, 1919. It's called Alcohol and the Human Race. Alcohol by, and the Human Race. Yeah, by Richmond Pearson Hobson. Okay. And he was uh, in the military. And so, but in the book, it talks about different things, and it talks about alcoholism as a disease, and alcoholism as the uh, they related it to early mortality rate in people, and uh, trying to figure out um, what what it needs to do. They're talking about uh, what it, the effect on the liver and the bloodstream circulation, all those medical marvels. This guy was talking about back in 1919. And uh, <clears throat> the the bottom line, when I was reading through it, I use this when I teach mm-hmm. as well, um, and uh, is that alcoholism has been around forever. Mm-hmm. We know that. Mm-hmm. It's been a disease forever, and we're still having that same debate today. Is it a disease or a behavior? Yeah, that's... And that, me, that was the most amazing away, thing 1919. 1919. And like we were, we were talking before, my, my perception was that the World Health Organization recognized it in 1950. Right. 1950. Right. Well, and actually the first Surgeon General of the United States recognized it as a disease way back in the early 1900s, and it got buried in there. And if you look in the late 1800s, they were starting to talk about it. The treatment goes back to the late 1800s. Um, and uh, in terms of helping people, there was a in actually in Illinois, it was called the Golden Elixir treatment way back in the and what it was is every day and it was for people who had money mm-hmm. and uh, who they thought got out of control, and so three times a day you would get a shot, um, and that was their detox process. So by the end of treatment. You wouldn't have a any shot, more shots. A shot uh, of booze or a shot? The go- go- golden elixir. Oh. A shot of booze. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, so they, they, so, yeah. and so if you go back to treatment back in the early days, that's how they detox people. When I worked in the hospitals uh, doing treatment, uh, the doctor used to order a 12-pack of beer uh, mm. for detox. Mm. Um, they didn't use a lot of medication. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or at least not the kind they well, had to use get from the pharmacy. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the doctors knew back then. They were like, "Hey, you know, we can't let people go through detox." Sure. And in the, in the old days, the the AA guys would, you know, buy buy a man a pint, you know, oh, yeah? and, and get them through the get them through the worst of the shakes, and you know, lots of water and hard candy. Right. Know, so, so, but that, I mean, that's that's just fascinating I'm, to me. Well, and I'm fascinated is, by early treatment and what does right. that look like, and and so when I'm teaching. So I really try to get people who become in therapists. They really are counselors. They really got to understand the early origins of what this is about. This isn't something that just came about. You have to go back, and you know, history is our best teacher. What do you know about the the ice ice water baths or cold water? Did you ever hear of that one? No. Okay, no. I've, I've heard that. Right. It's probably to shock people. Shock people, right? <laughs> have you ever heard of a sh- Have you ever actually heard yeah. of electroshock? Oh, uh, yeah, electroshock there, and that's still used today on people. But they used it on alcoholics, and they thought, you know, if we can just shock that part of the brain, they won't drink anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and basically and they took their frontal, the person's frontal lobe, the front part of their brain, reason, judgment, all that, and and deaden it. So that was not a good move because then you just kept drinking. Because now you don't have it. Now you don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> now you don't care. Now you don't care. Right. Kind of overkill there. Okay. Right. Well, that's you know that's fascinating. You mentioned. Uh, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but you mentioned uh, teaching. Talk a little bit about what you what you do teaching wise, or what your plans are with teaching. I want. I got to get a plug in for RCC for crying right. out loud. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I teach for Aurora University now in their addiction studies program, and I've taught for them for the last couple of years. And uh, so, I, what is it specifically that you teach? I teach uh, intro to substance abuse and pharmacology and addictions counseling one and two. Um, I have well, there's a team of us that are teaching that that program. And Aurora University has a program for post people with their masters already, and mm-hmm. so it's a certification program. So you get a, a CADC. CADC out of the deal at the right. end. Mm-hmm. Um, ho- starting in the fall, hopefully. All my transcripts get to MCC. Um, then uh, we'll have our fall program up and running. Yeah. And actually, I think you helped with that, Rick. 
I had a little something to do with it. Right. Yeah. Rick and I, we wrote wrote all the courses and, and all that. That was a fun experience. Uh, I actually lost them all at one point on my computer. That was even better. Um, so hopefully we'll start in the fall. we got two classes going. I the have fall. them now, by the way, do so we're them? good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Because I lost my hard drive, too, or my uh, flash drive for, with all the uh, descriptions on there, too. So. But I just still have them. But yeah. we'll start in the fall. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday and Thursday nights. So look for it in the catalog. We're intro to use counseling and assessment and treatment plan. And who do you, who who usually do you find that signs up for for these classes? Is it is it general pop or are these people are these like people that are coming back to school? Who? I, I think it's a mixture, which is the greatest thing. The yeah. people that are wanting to further their education. There's people who and they want to give back, so mm-hmm. they want to become go and work in treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some general interest in people, you know, people that are just generally interested in, in learning more. Um, but, so all uh, kinds. Of- it's all kinds. It's a great class because not hmm. everyone's at a different place. Okay. I think that's a really nice. It's going to be good for a lot of people that that at MCC that that's going to be closer to, to make it reasonable for a lot of people because I think Absolutely. Elgin was the only other mm-hmm. school anywhere around here right. um, that you could go and take any of these classes for that certification. So, so we're starting the process, and, and in two years we'll be fully accredited. We're starting out with accredited without accreditation, but it still counts. So don't you still get credit for the course? Still get credit for the courses, and it applies to the CADC. Okay. So let, let me switch gears uh, away from teaching in classes for a minute and ask a question that I've heard. This is another like street-level question, if you will, and that that is, how does someone know if they need treatment? <laughs> <laughs> or do they? Well, how does someone, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. A little, little, little tough what to. What kind of question is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just it's the kind I gotta ask. I know. That's the kind of question. I need to prepare. Okay, for you can play question. crazy train again. Right. <laughs> we didn't go with that. <laughs> yeah. See, he thought it was funny. Just to go back a little up for the street level. <laughs> okay. You got well, two, no, I, I, I think how does anyone know that they need to be in recovery? Um, generally, it's somebody else telling you that's probably a good idea that you do something, or it's that that awakening. In other words, it's not going to be you. Probably not going to be that you that knows. Right. Well, you know, like for my story, I knew that if I didn't, you know, I knew, but I've been through treatment before. No one's, you know, but at the last time, it's like that awakening thing of if you don't do something now, uh, it might be too late. So I think people go through different levels. Most of the people enter treatment because somebody else tells them they need to be there. I can't tell you how many people I sit across from and go, I'm only here because no one else wants me here. So I generally start off with people, just so you know, 99% of the people that talk to me every day lie to me. I'm mm-hmm. good with it. Mm-hmm. So let's <laughs> let's start from there. And, yeah, let's uh, not get, yeah, let's not get off. We're, we're not going to get the whole story, but let's right. start and, and see where we can go. Right. Um, so in other words, people... People aren't waltzing into treatment because it's a bright, sunny day in July, I guess, July. Heck no, man. Then people would be lined up out the door. Right. That's my belief. If if we gave away something magic that made you uh, sober, people would be lined up outside the door for that. Do do people get sober without treatment? Yeah. Absolutely. How do they do it? Well, you know, uh, one of the best ways to do it is through the 12-step community. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people wake up and they have that resolve and go, well, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of those people. I've, I don't understand those people too often because mm-hmm. I don't have that within me. <laughs> they just wake up in the morning and go, hey, well, I'm done with that. I'm moving on to the next thing. Yeah. So it's a whole dialogue of was it really – they, yeah, they Did they have a – Did uh, they have a problem? The ism in the first place. Yeah, the ism the that they could do that. Do you? I mean, I've heard people say, uh, you know, yeah, the doctor told me I had to quit. My liver was right. know, falling out. And well, right. Actually, one of the things I, I want everyone, you know, I, I ask everyone to do, or I ask the counselors because I'm doing more administration now, to do is make sure they get a, make sure everyone's getting a physical. Because sometimes the word of the doctor will impact people better and go, oh, I better do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like when my cholesterol's high, the doctor goes, well, your cholesterol's high, and I said, you got a pill mm-hmm. for that. And he's like, yeah. And I go, great. Now I can have a cheeseburger. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, here's another man on the street type of question. Is is um, substance abuse treatment and mental health treatment the same? I I would say yes. Okay. 
and most people would say no. Okay. And they divide it, mental health, substance abuse, and you have different, you know, areas that you go to in a treatment facility. And, you know, I've been in a lot of them where the mental health therapists don't talk to the substance abuse therapists and mm-hmm. vice versa. And it's all the same thing. Mm. Um, so I'll go back to my word of mission mm. is that mental, mental illness and substance abuse have the same uh, pathway and they have the same recovery pathway as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a brain disorder that causes people to not uh, react in the way they should. And so um, I'm big on combining that together mm-hmm. um, in terms of you, you can't get healthy in a, in, in a vacuum. You, you've got to bring everything in. So that's what, it, and so the treatment that you do is generally, or the treatment that you support hit. You, you treat both things at the same time. They can be, they can right. be, they can either over, do they overlap or they combine they, or I would you say? They don't overlap. I, I think they're, they're one and the same. Now, um, you know, when, once people get sober, sometimes that depression or whatever goes away. So we can say, okay, well, that person probably doesn't need to focus on that, but they still need some general life, you know, mm-hmm. coaching. Then uh, someone who gets sober and still depressed and still feeling that way, then, yeah, so I always believe just start out with the whole package. Mm-hmm. Why give someone half of something, you know, going mm-hmm. to the ice cream store and only getting the cone and walking out, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. So is that is that commonly, is that the way it usually works? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way you do it. That's the way I do it. That's okay. the way I encourage people to do it, the places I work for. I okay. Try to bring that integration in there. Mm-hmm. You have to. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, even in this, I know even in this county, we have a mental health court and a drug court. So. Well, you're going to put me on the spot on that one. Yeah. No, but I, but I think because of um, not everyone with a mental illness has a substance abuse problem. Not everyone with a substance abuse problem has a mental illness. So, so it works. It, it works, works in, in a, that. In, in, legal perspective from a legal but you know also when you look at treatment statistics 80 percent of the people there's there i can't prove that 80 percent but 80 percent of the people coming in have both mm. and so treatment is treatment right okay you know while we're on that while we're on that subject we've got a a question from a listener here that writes in uh is therapy would you consider therapy something that's a lifelong thing no no, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, get what you need and move on. You know, we had a guy, uh, the experience of a guy who'd been in a place where I work, had been there for 20 years, hmm. and he's still working on treatment. I, and I went to the counselor, and I said, would you have just graduated him already? <laughs> so 20 years, if he's not better in 20 years, then I'm not thinking it's his fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we graduated him, and it, and he had a biggest smile on his face that day. He showed everybody. He goes, "I finally getting out of here." <laughs> <laughs> you can take off the striped suit and go. Right, I'm finally out of yeah. here. And he comes back and he smiles. And he's like, you know, and he tells people, "He goes, I graduated from this place. What are you still doing here?" You know. <laughs> so I mean, I think people, you know, it, it's it's the journey. It's the story of life. You can't. You, you got to in and out. You know, it's okay to come back. Um, you know, early in my own. Recovery. I was in therapy for ten years, and I look back and I go, I spent a lot of money mm. on something that did, you know it was like really mm. <laughs> probably could have took a you know a month, two months, three months. Yeah, that was was that periodically you know in and out or no? I was like ten years, ten straight years. <laughs> you know? Well, you were a special case. I was then. a special case. Right. Well, okay. that's what I thought. But you know, we'd gone back. We were in a lot. You know. My thing is, is you gotta in the present moment you gotta deal with what's there. So okay. life lifelong therapy, you know, I, I would uh you know, if you're going consistently over now coming in and out, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um another uh man on the street uh type question. What's the difference between detox and treatment? All right. Detox is usually a medical Procedure. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Is to get out the the chemicals that are in you that are causing you to have a medical reaction. Okay. And so that detox piece is really needs to be medically monitored, or sometimes not, depending on, on where people are at. But uh, detox is just to get you clean. 
Got it. to get it out. There's no, uh, they do some intervention, introduce you to some things, but uh, in the midst of being sick, you're not really listening to, to what's going on. Brain's so, not working. Brain's not working. Yeah. Detox, I always call it, is the, the diving boards of treatment. Okay. And the and then the treat the treatment doesn't take place the actual treatment doesn't take place until after somebody's right. medically stable or right. properly detoxed. Okay, because I think oh I think some people have that mixed up sometimes. I think we have a caller. Yes, sir. Okay, let's hear what our caller has to say. All right, go caller? ahead, caller. Go ahead. Hello. Hello. Hi. Yes, I'm calling with a question regarding treatment. Okay, I'd love. To, I'd love. Here's to, my question. Your name? Well, my name is Joy. Okay, Joy. Fire away. What my question. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. I'm ready for your question. Okay, what I'm wondering is this: How do you guys feel about taking people who are in treatment? to 12-step meetings in an outside setting? Okay, that's a good question. Thank you for asking. We'll see what we can do with that one. Thank you very much. Okay, and thanks for listening. You want to you wanna talk about that? No, I, I, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important to introduce people to every available opportunity and option for themselves. And sometimes the first meeting is the hard meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Hard meeting. I would, I almost prefer uh, someone from the twelve-step community to come in and connect with people in treatment and take them to their first meeting. It, there's a, you know, uh, like individually or or you or know, say, take the group, take the group, say, hey, you know, everyone, we're going to a meeting at seven o'clock. You know, everyone, join us here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some safety in that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's a, a vital part of treatment. Okay. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Get them connected. Get them connected. Yeah, and get that process started. That's absolutely. the connection to the community or whatever it is. I want to. I want to jump. Um, I want to jump ahead to the question that I asked on Twitter and that we asked our um, peeps on the street because I don't want because I don't want to miss that one and I have a couple of other questions for you so. So the question is, what happens in rehab? It's almost like there's this mysterious thing, like people, like they walk in the door and something happens and they don't know what it is, right. and then they get spit out 30 days later. Right. And you know, like, and even the even the guys that I asked and, and other people that we didn't interview, it, it's very hard to actually get a handle on what. Happens now. I know it's not the same at every treatment center, right. but there's probably some common elements. What well, the, I, the common element is every treatment starts with uh, uh, what we call an assessment or an evaluation, where someone you come in, you sit down with a counselor or therapist to talk, and they they ask you five thousand questions and uh, to try to get a sense of where you're at. You fill out a lot of paperwork. Mm-hmm. I said, Sometimes it's worse than uh, doing a mortgage, uh, coming in to treatment all the paperwork you got to sign. Yeah. And uh, that's really the first connection people have with treatment. That that defines their experience of what treatment is. Okay. And if they have a bad experience of that assessment, generally they say, well, treatment didn't really work. Or, yeah. You know, from that assessment, the, the counselor and the uh, person coming in hopefully have a conversation about what level of treatment that they might need, whether it be detox, inpatient, outpatient, education, individual, whatever it might be, okay. and try to get them connected to that service. And then one, let's just talk about the let's talk about inpatient treatment. Mm-hmm. What what when somebody once they're through the assessment phase and actually into the process of treatment. What's going on there behind closed doors? Right. Well, on the which end, aren't locked, by the way. Right. Right. Because that right. question came up too. You can't lock in uh, alcoholic and drug addicts. Right. Which is a good. Thing. Voluntary. It's voluntary. As much as someone can be voluntary. Right. And I, and voluntarily. Know, have you ever had people call up and ask you, "Can we lock them up?" Oh, all the time. I get parents call me all the time. Right. We got to lock them up. And I say you can't lock your kids up. All right. Well, you can them. on the health side, but we don't do it on the substance abuse side. And right. It's probably not a good idea. Okay. So what happens behind um, so what happens behind closed doors is you know inpatient is the first couple of days is all about orientation to where you're at. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're confused, you're you're angry, you're upset, you're happy, you're relieved, you want to sleep. Generally, so, you know, uh, getting orientated to where you're going to be sleeping, what you're going to be eating, what your schedule is. It's a very rigid schedule. Okay. And there's a specific time to get up. You go to breakfast at the same time. You go to group. You go to uh, whatever else might be there. You have an individual. You go to lunch. You uh, go to group. You go, you talk to people. You have some recreation time. I, you know, it's always a good thing, recreation time. Then you have a dinner time. Then you have uh, generally in the inpatient places I've worked, we've taken people out to meetings in the evening. You go to meetings, you come back home, you have a nighttime wind down, and, and then you start the whole process over again. Okay. Well, a lot of it is focused on group okay. and getting to know people because, you know, as you know, you know, people being around people is not always the thing you want to do right. in, in early recovery because yeah. it's like. Alcohol kind of wants to isolate you. Oh, absolutely, and you, you, you know, I think it provides structure. Treatment should provide help provide some of that structure that wasn't there. Okay. So when you're thinking about using, that's what treatment is is teaching. When you're thinking about using, you have an option. Okay. All right. So, and then what happens in those groups usually? Usually, they they usually have a theme or a focus. We talk about uh, you know throughout some treatment term, you know, cognitive therapy. Mm-hmm. How, basically, is how do you, how do you think, feel, behave? Mm-hmm. How does that all interact and tie together? Uh, we do usually do some education on the twelve steps. We don't do the twelve steps. We do some education to get people ready for that piece. Um, homework. People homework. get homework. Yeah. Homework writing. I, I'm a big fan of not giving homework. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was getting in trouble for this, but uh, I don't like to call it homework. I like to, you know, let people choose the pathway that they want to use that, you know. Mm-hmm. Tell them out uh, worksheets. You know, people love to come to groups. I don't do worksheets because mm-hmm. uh, it almost feels too much like school. It's important, though, so in case anyone who I work for is listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which if they're not tonight, they will be they later. Will be, they'll, right. be, they'll be picking it apart and right. do your homework. Finding ways to... But I th- so let me I'll clarify that. Homework is homework, but I mean, I, I, I think people have to, you have to do it the way that makes sense to people. You have to remember, a lot of people, you know, uh, you, you got to know where their learning level's at, you know. I'm not a big worksheet person. I got to hear something in order to, to kind of process it. And get yeah, it some people some people would be auditory. Some people right. are going to be. So then we need to go down that path. But anyways, go no, ahead. No, that's that's okay. That's you know, learning disabilities. A learning disability. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I guess um, you know the the, the question. This relates back to the school part, but but it, it is a question that I've heard and that I get asked from time to time. And what what does a person um, need? To get into the field, what kind of education do they need? What what would they specifically need to do if they wanted to work in the substance abuse field? Well, one of the best ways is to to go to school to get your, to become a certified alcohol and drug counselor. That's that's generally the pathway in. Okay. Uh, although uh, treatment has kind of got the agencies places are are now requiring people to have master's degrees and. All that, um, and, which I think is important as well. But you know, some of the ground level, they're still allowing that that certification. So generally, yeah. it's a high school diploma and a certified alcohol and drug counselor, and, mm-hmm. and then you can get on as a what they call you know a tech or a counselor and, mm-hmm. and start the process. Okay, so um, you can start there without without uh, without a bachelor's, without yeah. a master's. You yeah, know. and some people do. Right. Well, that's how I started. Okay. I had a high school diploma, and uh, I was a CADC, and I was a manager in a hospital system. Okay. I had no bachelor's degree, no master's degree, and people go, like, well, how did you do that? <laughs> I'm like, you just work hard. You just you know? piece it together from there. Piece it together from there. Right. And I think a lot of peop- a lot of recovery people want to go back and, and Absolutely. Get, you know, get a CADC and, and work in the field. And, yeah, you see a lot of that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, for a while there, the uh, treatment field was getting low on recovery. Mm-hmm. Is that changing? And, uh, it's starting to change again, which is is, is a nice uh, nice piece. Well, that's good, and I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna I, I guess we'll 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 wrap it here and uh, just you know. Well, thanks for thanks for doing it. Yeah, thanks always. For, thanks for giving us the information. Appreciate it. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Studio Rick. audience is just crazy tonight, I'll tell you. Hey, Rick, can I put a quick plug in yeah, here? Absolutely. Just want to know for everybody who lives in McHenry County, uh, a lot of things have been happening. The agency I worked at closed. We have a new agency starting on Monday, which would be tomorrow. 
um, Rosecrans has come into McHenry County uh, mm-hmm. to help provide for those who can't provide for themselves. So we're we're opening the doors tomorrow morning. So if you and it'll be at family the family, at service, the old family service building. We're training okay. for the next yeah. two days, but Thursday we'll 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 see people. And as I say, if someone walks tomorrow, we're going to treat them tomorrow. So okay, all right. And the phone number, if you uh, right now is eight one five three nine one one thousand. I'll get you to us. That's Rosecrans's number. That's Rosecrans's number. They'll get to us. So just stop in. Okay. Good. I'm glad. Thank you. I'm glad you're doing that. And Absolutely. and thanks again. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for thanks for uh, the audience for joining us in yeah. the studio audience, all of you. Um, and I'll I'll. I'll email out the link for the next week's show as soon as I have it. Um, and I and and I want to remind you to live today and love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. So give us your feedback and ideas, and we'll see you at 8 o'clock next Sunday. And Mike P. is going to play us out. Play us out, man. Blend it on a classy note. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like you're a classy guy. Classic. Should we get a wump in here while we're waiting? Oh, yeah. Are you good? They won't.